Hello and welcome back to another episode of In the Beginning Was the Word. Today I am talking to Ansley and Drew Wickoff, uh, two American citizens whom I uh, got to know Ansley a little bit through Twitter and then uh, we talked a little bit. She commented on some of my more out there posts that I have on Substack about like satanic uh, portals and whatever. And uh, it is, but it is pretty interesting just how the postmodern religious world functions. And in that uh, direction, uh, I can put some, well, maybe we'll talk about Kanye West and his uh, alien <laughs> cult. Because, you know, as soon as you open the floodgates, anything could happen. But with that, I welcome, uh, I'll welcome Drew first. Hello, Drew. Hey, yeah, thanks for having us. Super excited to just like talk about some things that we usually just talk about in our kitchen. So very excited. Cool. And then there's Amsley. Hello. Hello. All <laughs> right. So um, because uh, I introduced Drew first, but I'll talk to you a bit more like sort of like we can treat each other as uh, interview subjects because we're three people. And so I'm a subject, you're a subject and Drew is also a subject. And uh, when it comes to you, I uh, first just found you on uh, on Twitter and uh, the American uh, Cirque de Soleil has been quite interesting to say the least and there it seemed like we agree agreed on some things um so what what motivated you can you sort of describe uh the process that has been behind uh, your whatever you want to say decision making and how how has the united states looked because that's also a thing we need to incorporate into this conversation the last three to four maybe five years what has your experience been in this predicament uh wow um it does look like a circus i mean from the inside too um and i guess that that is this this sort of mismatch of not being able to to reconcile like my experience with what I'm witnessing on the screen is kind of what motivated me to start researching and, and reading more about what's really going on TM. Um, from the inside, it's kind of surreal. I, I don't know, we have all this art that, that references it, but it's not really talked about in your relationships with people. Um, so I guess just this this kind of mismatch has propelled me forward through through rabbit holes and and reading a variety of different things that I've sort of connected through. Well, really, when I ended up in back into Christianity because I was an atheist for a long time, um, that's when I was able to start making some sense of the world again, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. And uh, <laughs> and uh, what's your uh, occupation and stuff like that, if you don't mind me asking? I am a web developer. I oh. make websites. So, like, I spend 90% of my time on the internet. Um, so that's probably so I, uh, also the reason. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> All right. And, uh, and you, Drew? 
Yes. So, uh, so I'm, I guess, I don't know if you're familiar with this book. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the title. The third one of the C.S. Lewis space trilogy. What's it called? Uh, Hideous Strength? Yeah, yes. that hideous strength. So I don't know if you've read this book, but um, in that book, I would be like the Mark character that was like pulled across the finish line by his spouse. So uh, <laughs> in in college, I was um, super interested. I studied philosophy and biology, and I was really interested in like the sort of overlap there around, you know, like um, the mind and philosophy of art and was a was a, a self professed, you know, skeptic. I was super, you know, materialist skeptic, but also still kind of had some respect for like some, some, some tricky problems and felt like really um, disoriented, right? Like, it's almost like the more you go down these rabbit holes uh, academically, the less you know, right? And the more sort of confused you come out. Um, and I had been sort of like, stripped of my sort of um preconceptions that maybe I had when I was a kid or whatever through uh through school and um and ultimately I got a little disillusioned you know academically in like the the science world and the philosophy world um and uh I'll spare you like my occupational like journey but um you know I was that skepticism really took me a long way I think partly because um, academic philosophy can really take you places and, and sort of desert you there, right? Like you can sort of end up not believing in anything and not really having the tools to reclaim any beliefs, to, to reclaim any sort of like core notions of, of self, of personhood, of responsibility, which is very amenable to like a materialist consumer culture. It's like, yeah. let's now just buy our Chick-fil-A ironically, right? Like you can still do all of the things you were doing before, but now, um, you know, you're sort of doing it with a wink or something, right? Um, and so this this was kind of like my my low point was just like this super strong skepticism and not really knowing how to rebuild sort of like the, the meaning that I had lost. Um, and... Uh, I think it and really, then you met me, and then I met Ansley, and and <laughs> what really, um, I had I had like to have one of those like falls from from you know Grace, like one of those like, you know, I was one of these people. So when RussiaGate was happening, I was like, "There's no way this it would take so many people to lie." And uh, it sounds ridiculous saying that out loud now, but at the time I was like, I was super skeptical, right? I was just like, nah, I, I just, I'm not buying it. Um, and it was really humbling to be so wrong <laughs> and to find out that really um, there's a lot more sort of just straightforward deception that when you start sort of understanding it or or at least acknowledging it, things actually start to make more sense. Um, and then that kind of led me to start to question or or like, you know, read things or, you know, Ainsley would show me things about, well, these people that I read in in philosophy classes that we sort of, we venerated as as idols, well, some of them had ulterior motives, right? Like some of them were openly, um, you know, uh, 
basically trying to tear down a system of beliefs and, and things started clicking. Right. And I started understanding that this isn't all just disconnected in my disorientation in the modern world is actually a feature and not just a bug. Right. Um, and, and that has sort of led me to kind of double back, reread, you know, certain things in a new light. Um, and it's been, it's been nice. This, this paper that, I, um, that we're going to talk about is a perfect example of that, right? We're, we're still using a lot of the same material. We're still reading a lot of the same names, but now through this modern lens, um, that I feel like I've only sort of recently, uh, you know, rediscovered. Um, so, so that's where I am now. I think I probably embodied the disorientation pretty well there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's really cool. Um, this paper, First Things, uh, you, you said you own that? Oh, no, no, no. I, so I, um, I have been... You know, and we can kind of talk about, um, you know, some of the people that, that I think are sort of relevant in this sphere, mm. but I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. I mean, that's just like my go to for, you know, philosophy lectures and um, and just kind of stumbled upon this particular video. Um, so. Uh, so there is like, a, I guess, an original paper by uh, Fuller that then um, was he he presented at uh the at villanova and uh a university and um and then there was like this panel afterwards where um mark schiffman who wrote this paper humanity 4.5 that was published in first things um he he was there to just do some commentary do a critique and kind of you know, blew the doors off the room with his critique. And, uh, and this publication is actually like a follow up on that. Um, you know, he kind of fleshed out some ideas. And, um, and I just thought it brilliantly tied together, like you said, a lot of the things that, um, that are going on, it, it's, it's a great sort of article to sort of pivot, you know, in, in all these different directions. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to get into that if you're ready for it. Totally ready for it. Uh, but it was cool to hear your introductions. Uh, I'm 32, and like you, Ansley, I used to be uh, a big, big atheist, but that's a long time ago. When I was like 13, 14, and 15 years old, I was mm -hmm. reading Christopher Hitchens. And, uh, wow, that's I mean, early. It is early, but um, you know, it was pretty funny because so here in Norway, uh, Christianity has been castrated in many different ways at the same time. So first of all, the, the church, they're being influenced by uh, Vatican 2.0 uh, believing forces. So now we have a situation here in Oslo where the bishop, she had a drag show in the church who go around and uh, sneak film without their uh, uh, whatever, without their consent, NATO officers in sort of like a BLM-inspired um, fashion where they're like outing that, oh, all the NATO officers in Norway and the military personnel, they're in on a racist conspiracy to kill all the black people or something. And I'm also in the military, uh, myself in the National Guard. <laughs> 
so uh, I've been feeling the pressure in that regard, but now it went really dark really quickly, but it's just amazing, the subversion alone, but we could get back to some simpler, easier to digest terms. Uh, that paper, I've read it many times now, but it really revolves around a lot of complicated issues. But what I think, uh, what I personally have found, because I've been... Uh, terminally online myself since I was about 19 and so in the university now there's a lot of worthwhile stuff that I have learned I've learned a lot of ancient Greek and Hebrew and that has been helpful and that's the end to what I have learned because it's all been this new woke uh, gender police language stuff going on I could go into deep, even deeper into that, but it's just crazy. Uh, I'll do it as we, as it uh, seems fit. Um, but with that article, what what I've found when I've been in the dissident spheres and some of the military operations spheres as well. Remember, 4chan and some of those Telegram groups are military operations, and they mm -hmm. have military actors and agents there and culture shapers. And uh, I just find it, find it all interesting in relation to Alexander Dugin and his doctrine, the fourth, uh, the fourth political doctrine, in which he claims that how they will subvert the West and, and our church and whatever is through these like sort of like secret esoteric lodges and Gnostics and whatever. But you can sort of uh, dispel the myth a little bit with those groups because what it what it is is just a an ideology it's an ideological framework very much similar and they also coincidentally behave in the same fashion as you see with Marcion and the early gnostics they call themselves magicians and they have all these secrets and all that type of stuff but really there's nothing special or magical about it it's just an ideology and they're putting all these spiritual words on top of it uh, to radicalize young men in the West. Really, so, it's like uh, a, a language game. Yes, it at is. At its core. Totally a language game at its core. And uh, that is what I am thankful for with this edu education. It's just, I'm, I'm good at language. I am. Uh, I'm not really good at math. I fall asleep if I try to do it. I think it's absolutely so boring to do mathematics <laughs> and a lot of computer stuff I don't like either. But I really like discourse and I like language, but it really pisses me off when people mess around with the rules of language because there are rules. But sometime around 2012, actually, I think the time frame was, some people decided that because in reality, society dictates language, but they've got it into their head because of these actors that language dictates society. And that is not correct, I would say. But, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. We were kind of talking about, so... Um, you know, in this paper, um, there is that uh, comment about uh, Dunn's SCOTUS, and um, and this is maybe somewhere where we can uh, learn something from you because you know we 
I had never heard of Duns Scotus until I read this paper. I know he's significant in the history of, of Christian thought. Um, I now know that. Uh, but, you know, this was a case where um, the understanding of language had had a huge cultural impact. Right. And so um, so I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I would sort of believe personally both that, you know, society does shape culture. I'm sorry. Society does shape language. But I suspect that language also plays a role. I think this is one of the reasons why you see this push to update the dictionary, right, alongside political movements. Um, I think there's a sort of understanding that um, the two go hand in hand, at least from an operational standpoint. Mm, that's true. Um, when it comes to uh, the apologies for that sound in the background i'm gonna go uh, turn off i've had uh, i've been doing some uh, washing some <laughs> dishes okay. we're just waiting bye, for our bye. dogs to, our dogs are gonna start barking as soon as we uh oh yeah my I'm dog has been kind of crazy too <laughs> um, oh yeah niels has a very very cute dog Oh. Yeah, his, and his name is Plato. <laughs> yes. Oh, perfect. That's great. <laughs> but um, yeah, Don Scotus, and uh, he was a Franciscan uh, friar. When it comes to all of those, really, I think uh, the majority of the blame to be found within the Christian intellectual sphere uh, can be placed into Catholicism in its varied forms. And uh, it's pretty interesting. I there's a reason why. Okay, so f of course China is a demonic place, just not a good place. Uh, it's not like I I venerate them them or anything, but I, I have a deep, more, much deeper understanding of why <laughs> Chinese authorities are as skeptical towards Christianity as they are, uh, because I've read a lot about the first Jesuit missions to China and how they behave them, whatever. And they would just, you know, that is what is so interesting about theology and geopolitics, because theology, the study of language and cultural influence, that is literally uh, the domain of uh, intelligence agencies as well. And really big things happen. I, I really like theology a lot because of that, because it also incorporates... Philosophy. Now, of course, philosophy too has that, but <clears throat> it just seems like, but I can't speak only to philosophy in this regard because it's happened to everything. But with the French existentialists, and then suddenly, like now they're talking about uh, quantum mechanics, and really what it proves is uh, the existence of something that is higher and does not follow our rational mathematical framework. But of course they'll use that to try to say that reality is just a simulation. That's a way, you know, to demoralize people and to make them not appreciate the color green and puppies running around and children and whatever, uh, you know, Scott Adams, oh, everything's a simulation or the multiverse, you know, that's the Marvel thing. So they can make it into like a, entertainment sort of industry thing um there's a lot of stuff all at once when when we're talking about this <clears throat> we could bring it into the predicament that we're currently under and also realize that it's not the first time this has happened this has happened 
uh, in cycles in history before. But the only thing, the big difference is that we have these technological screens where we can see everything. And also, it goes all the way back to the inventor of the magic lantern. I don't have his name in my head right now, but he was also a Jesuit. And uh, that was all about sort of like confusing people and making them believe in weird things like the war of the worlds when they made people believe there was an alien invasion which is probably the next step in this uh, scheme is the project <laughs> bluebeam and uh, you know to most people this is like so outlandish uh, but it's really not outlandish it makes a lot of sense and why wouldn't they why wouldn't they do that you know especially with this technology that we have and uh, I had a talk with a dude named Stan Haynes one time, and I thought I kind of summarized it in a funny way. It's like, you know, the 70s and 80s, that's when the CIA really got involved with the hippies, and they gave them a bunch of LSD, and then suddenly everyone loved dinosaurs. And then Disney was a big thing, and here we are. <laughs> that's about right, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay, so... Um, when did you stop being an atheist, Ansley, in the way that you identify, at least? Well, it was kind of like a rolling process. It, it wasn't like a moment, you know, like a singular moment where I realized that the last 10 years of my life was a lie. Wow. <laughs> but... That's deep. That's heavy. <laughs> well... I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but only only like philosophically, not like intrapersonally. But um, I I'm trying to think of when I started becoming interested in religion again. It was after I had read a lot of conspiracy related stuff. I got really into like Hollywood. And that's how I kind of got introduced to Jay Dyer. And I guess he, I, I would, I would give him credit for probably reintroducing religion into my life because I wasn't very open to it until he was like, I, I noticed that he had videos that where he talked about it. Um, but it took, it took going through parts of the rabbit hole to open my mind to even be in a place where I would accept the possibility of of God you know mm. um so I guess I really only fairly recently is when we started going to church again and that's when I've I feel like I've you know come fully back into the fold of Christianity and you, Drew? Um, so, you know, I, I had turned myself into a, a pretty diehard skeptic, um, <laughs> you know, just in the things that I was, I was reading, but I still was never satisfied with a, a strict materialism. Um, what really got me, and, and this might be sort of immature, but what really I was hung up on was like this prime mover problem where it didn't make any sense to me like so either 
the world uh, is sort of, or the universe is sort of uncaused, right? Either it just sort of pops into being, right? Um, no explanation at all. Or there is some cause, and what would that be, right? Um, and if that's not caused, um, if that's caused by something, then what was that, right? And so this, this like sort of simplistic looking for a first cause and sort of like those two options, like either something out of nothing or something created by something, both of those to me were like equally baffling. And I was, uh, so I never really gave up on the existence of something um, something outside of this, you know, material world. Um, but I was, so I said, I would say that I was really a sort of diehard skeptic agnostic. Right. Um, mm. and I remained that way for a long time. And I think partly because I didn't see very many respectable Christians. Right. I mean, a lot of the Christians that I saw on TV or that I saw in my own life, um, where, you know, they would be like intense Christians for like five minutes on Sunday. Right. And then, um, and then that was almost like a cleansing ritual where then the rest of their life could be whatever. Right. Um, or, you know, they were, uh, sort of insufferable, you know, like just <laughs> sort of hard, hard to be around. Um, and it wasn't until I started reading Dostoevsky, just kind of looking for, I, I think I was just looking for like, what's the best book ever written or something, you know? Um, and started started reading his works and started coming across these fictional characters that were very respectable Christians. And I was just like, this is actually someone that I can look up to and idolize in a certain way. Um, and And that kind of got me down, that got me maybe a foot in the door. And then like with Ansley, it's only been, you know, a couple months that we've actually been going to an Orthodox church. Um, and that was almost by happenstance. We just happened to be sitting. We went to a J Diary event. We happened to be sitting next to someone who um, is involved at an Orthodox church near us. And so we were like, well, that's a sign. Let's just go. And we've been going ever since. Cool. That sounds really awesome. And uh, it's not surprising at all that... In the Western Hemisphere at that point that we're at, that there would be a longing for this spiritual thing. Uh, but they've made that into like, that's one of the first things I learned really early, even in just like basic theology, because I started my degree with the intent of becoming a high school teacher, only that. And that's like a, a degree on its own here in Norway. It's called uh, lector or something. It lasts for five years. And so my first year, I did this sort of like practical thing and I learned about all kinds of religions. And I had like, uh, I was in a school acting as a teacher and stuff because I had already done um, the basic philosophy course that you need to do before you can do that. And um, I just remember that was like even in my basic teaching books that <clears throat> a lot of the new age and like Eastern tradition sort of mystic spiritual whatever things were uh, intelligence agencies operations and that's what i said in that book and that was a peer-reviewed book for first year students in my class so it's like not <laughs> a secret i even got an exam about it but it's not like they really went more into 
why is that you know what what's going on here but it was just a fact and uh, i can relate with what you're saying especially uh, norway is a very secular uh, nation and it's also a very collectivist culture so those two things uh, in combination is uh, somewhat insufferable at times but we have really good people here. It's just like, you know, people here are really nice. It's but that's, that's because we've had a homogenous sort of culture for a long time. And um, the most insane version of a high trust society that I could provide to you guys is I live not too far from the Northern National Forest where me and my wife, we like to go on walks there. And up there, they have these things you can buy to, to make a fire in the, in the woods. And then you just send them money using something called BIPs. So first of all, they're trusting that you'll pay for the product. Yeah. And second of all, they're trusting that you will not burn down the entire forest and even yeah. have like wow. commercials for it. And that's really <laughs> nice, you know, uh, but that's also part of the reason why we got tricked so hard with this vaccine and with Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter and with the de radical Democrats abroad. Actually, something interesting that I've found is a lot of the military NGOs who are mm -hmm. uh, saying all kinds of stuff about Russia and Ukraine and whatever. A lot of them, first of all, they carry pagan symbols or different versions of the swastika on their profile. Mm -hmm. And second of all, they are retweeted by what they call radical like Democrats abroad. And they're now in the Norwegian whatever uh, culture influence sphere online saying that oh we need to put back on the masks <laughs> we need to get yeah. another vaccine and all kind of stuff and so uh, i don't understand like how what has happened but what i'm starting to feel like is that uh so the united states that's mystery babylon is what it seems like to me mm. from a tradition perspective no, well not that it really is but it goes all the way back you had mesopotamia Greek city-states, it becomes Rome, some stuff happens, the Holy Roman Empire, then they go off to the United States and then they take with them. Like that's that's also like with all the conspiracy things, there's a lot of things that are just true, but that doesn't mean that they hold any like magical power over you or others, but it just shows their allegiance to certain things. Like for instance, the... What's it called? It's this big statue in Washington, D.C., like a monolith. Oh, the, yeah, the obelisk. The obelisk. The obelisk, yes. Just stuff like that. And you can just like look at, you know, it's like all these like sort of symbols from the Roman times, but also it goes all the way back to Ur in Mesopotamia. And mm -hmm. uh, the Marvel gods are also those same old gods, you know. So nothing but, is new under the sun. <laughs> yeah, the average American doesn't. I don't. Not to to insult. Yeah, I I like you said about uh, Norwegians. I have a love for my fellow Americans, but we aren't really taught the symbolism in school. At least I wasn't. And all all of the stuff that I've discovered, it's been post post school, and through like random threads on the internet 
where it's yes. not peer reviewed and and not you know but we we just like exist around all these symbol symbols without being able to parse them it's a weird and this is kind of oh, crap my dog is barking um well we love dogs here and all my listeners <laughs> they love dogs and if you don't you should stop listening to me <laughs> i can get on board with that yeah <laughs> i lost my train of thought though so Sorry oh but that. uh that's totally fine um but when it concerns philosophy and whatever i have a generalized rule for myself now when it concerns both theology and philosophy and that is i mean of course there's good stuff being produced in the modern time and that article that you shared with me via drew your husband was really good too and so uh, it's kind of like i'm a bit dogmatic when i say this but i'll still say it and that is these sort of notions and thoughts, like when it comes to both theology and philosophy, is it's mostly useless um, after 1948. And a big thing happened in 1948. They created the nation state of Israel and the UN became what it became. And uh, I don't know, I don't think you had that much indoctrination where you are in the United States, but the UN thing has always been really big in Norway. And Norway is an NGO country, and we're sort of like uh, we we try to live up to the status of Switzerland, but we know we can't. But it's a similar culture too, and a similar type of people with a bunch of mountains and a lot of rich, like just richness, generally speaking. But uh, there's a lot of people awakening in Norway now to the fact that, okay, so first of all, the, the, the chief of NATO, that is Jens Stoltenberg, and he used to be the chief of Gavi, which is Bill Gates' vaccine company. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so what I'm thinking uh, when I'm seeing... Uh, I really don't want to be doing too much COVID talking, but just the thing I've noticed is that uh, in the United States, it seems like the vaccines have been very horrendous in an assortment of ways as with other places, but not in Norway. And so I really do think that they've given different vaccines to different people. And what I'm coming to sort of awaken up a little bit too, it's the fact that Norway as a nation state is one of the most complicit agents in this entire scheme. And that's why you can't talk about it here. You really cannot. And they do go after you and they have gone after me uh, in really weird ways that uh, I'm not going to get into now. But it's just been strange. But uh, the thing just continues, you know. It's like uh, you can't stop it. It's just like, oh, no, and uh, misinformation and everyone who says otherwise, there is and that. But everyone knows that's not true. But I guess with what you said, Drew, that's why everyone uh, should read Dostoevsky. But it'll frighten you to your core. And it's just funny, like with Jordan Peterson and like... Men have a <laughs> have a penis and women have a vagina and everyone loose flips out, you know. But now he's just hanging out with <clears throat> Elon Musk, you know, DARPA, and he's like uh, sort of just seems like Elon Musk 
is trying to pass himself off as the antichrist. I don't believe that he is, just to let mm -hmm. you know that. But he's playing with those dialectics. I guess maybe that's just a way to make yourself seem more powerful. But at the same time, I'm really thankful that they've gone in and sort of neutered the Chinese whatever gender libs TikTok thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of notions all at once. What do you think, Drew? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's this is this is like uh, if you were a fly on the wall in our kitchen. This is the kind of stuff that we're always we're always so much to talk about and chew on. Um, so you know, one of the things that stands out to me is you know you were saying you know men are men, women are women, and how to us now, this is like red meat, right? We're like, finally, someone said it. And this was a sort of fact in kindergarten, right? Um, this was something that it, it's just, it's a, a sign of the times that we treat this as um, the sort of gorilla in the room, or, you know, I don't know if that's an expression in, in Oslo, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, like this idea that um, our culture is is so confusing and we have been we've become so alienated from from just facts about about reality that i think it is becoming easier and easier to play the role of dissident right um a true dissident is much harder so someone like julian assange is uh not doing so well compared to elon musk um elon musk can sort of put on a, a sort of appearance of a dissident um, through just saying some uh, really non-controversial things, um, but because we're so starved for a firm, you know, um, a ground beneath our feet, you know, we sort of gasp for air um, when someone actually says something pretty, something pretty obvious. Um, I completely agree that he is playing this role. I, I think it sort of does make him more of an antichrist figure than it's it's almost like bootstrapping his own antichristhood um because i think he's sort of embracing it in a way that is i think it is genuinely uh going to be harmful for for people i think i think we still don't have the tools we need to resist the temptations of transhumanism of um of this like uh, the new world order, this like Klaus Schwab, you know, um, you know, the, the central bank digital currencies, I think ultimately we need to protect ourselves from these things um, because we're just kind of floating down a lazy river, like headed there if, if we don't do something about it. Um, and we're going to embrace these, these people who are like the enemies of our enemies, but they do not, they're just playing a game. They're just marketing and capturing an audience. Yeah, totally true. And uh, I'd like to remark something like uh, the best thing would be for me to just follow on your notion of thought there. And, uh, and I will as well. Um, <clears throat> back to the document you sent me uh, in relation to to the predicament. What, what I really feel. OK, <laughs> so uh, it just goes back to the story of uh, in the Garden of Eden and. Uh, 
the Gnostic inversion, like basically the Gnostic inversion. And also they believe that we need to become one being, uh, in other words, androgynous. And that seems to be the religion of a lot of these um, actors in this, uh, in this uh, gig. And the internet is sort of like, it's sort of like that, but it's also really good. Like when we're talking to each other right now, but um, so for instance, with the normalization of strong psychedelics, such as DMT, I've been getting really into the CE5 alien phenomenon, which is just funny with uh, Richard Greer and whatever, and we will all become one consciousness and all kinds of stuff. And then you just learn that the Heaven's Gate cult and all that stuff, you, all, you probably know this, both of you, with uh, how intelligence sort of agencies were involved in that process. And uh, so that's what I've been saying uh, to, uh, to another dude I talked to, is that it kind of seems like... Um, so I admire Western culture, definitely. Uh, but there's a cognitive dissonance when it comes to this thing that oh yeah we are the bearers of civilization and we bear those fruits i agree i don't think like the black lives matter subversion is good but at the same time if we actually follow the bible uh, and sort of like see it through that scope but uh, it just it just makes a lot of sense that it would eventually turn into this. And with the promise of the internet and it's all, you know, just these nerds and, you know, Apple biting out of the Apple. And then of course they have, it's um, someone that I follow. Okay. Schizo that I've talked to before. I'm pretty sure it's an intelligence asset. That's this point. Just so you know. uh, but uh, he's, he's a good guy, but um. He, he makes a lot of funny memes. He has like 60,000 followers on Instagram. And uh, one of them was just like an evil looking demon jester saying, whenever you take a stance, you do the jester dance. Because it seems like all of these different things, like for not like for instance, oh, Orthodox Christianity, oh, then you support Putin. Or I don't know, you just want to like put some attention to the fact that black people in America, they have done all kinds of shit to black people, like planting drugs in the 70s and 80s, which is not good, which is probably what they're doing to white people now or some version of it. But then that mm -hmm. turns into Black Lives Matter. You know, they, they just pervert everything. They go into things that are important to us and distort it and make everyone seem like a retard. Sorry, I like to use that word. Um, I do too. I do too. I get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> word in the English vocabulary, retard. I love it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll let you... Uh, grab the word Ansley. This is like when when it gets started, there's no stopping. <laughs> um I don't know. I, I wanna I kind of want to comment on when these things started because like when you start researching this stuff and you, you think it started in the 70s or you think and then you think it started in the 60s and then you learn about that and it's all premised on something that came before. So it is like a this rolling uh, 
dialectic that goes back and back and back and back. It's hard to get to the to the beginnings of it. Have you heard of Saint Ephraim the Syrian? Uh, I don't think so. He's really cool. He was a poet. It's not like he was talking about conspiracy theories or anything, but um, it's just really funny uh, because I really like him. And I like the old Turk and Syriac church fathers. But I just saw something recently, uh, an article about how he was an anti-Semite. <laughs> it's like he hates all the Jews. And that's a big trick they always like to, to play. Um, yeah, it goes back to the inception of the church. Just like mm -hmm. when you read church history, you have, of course, St. Irenaeus against heresies and whatever. And if you just sort of provide those, <clears throat> the old material to people, you see that it's the entire same, it, it's the same dialectic as they dealt with them throughout history. Mm -hmm. But especially through the Vatican, they really managed to put some <clears throat> deep-seated heresy into places where it doesn't belong. Like, for instance, the Vatican Church. First of all, it's the Vatica, it's the underworld, and whatever, all that kind of stuff. And the Pope has a snake in his room, in like his audience room, there is a big snake. And, yeah. and then they're basically who they worship. They worship Ishtar and Inanna. That's who mm -hmm. they worship because they have Mary, you know, as a fourth divine, which is actually hilarious because it even says in Revelation that they will instill a fourth divine as a god, as the mm -hmm. god of everything. And it's just like you can just see how blasphemous it is in accordance to the teaching uh, that, you know, uh, is probably the truth. But uh, you, Drew, you studied, um, <clears throat> do you have a master's degree or bachelor in philosophy or PhD or? Uh, just, a, just a bachelor's, just a bachelor's okay, degree. Yeah. No, but that's... yeah, and, and oh. since then, I feel like, you know, I've probably learned maybe more on YouTube, more on just reading, um, you know, random articles like, like this one. Um, and it's become a lot more relevant, right? Like it's, it's kind of hard to find the relevance of Descartes when you're uh, 22 and, you know, mm -hmm. living in a, you know, the modern society. It's just, it's, it's unclear how these things are relevant. Um, and it's only through sort of, uh, the past, I don't know, a couple of years that things have kind of become a lot more relevant. Mm. Something that I talked also about. The long process of unlearning a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. I think we lost you for a second. <laughs> yeah, actually, can assess. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, Ansley. Bye. Bye. All right. Um... Last time when I talked to Drew and Ansley, uh, we had some technical issues and some bandwidth ish with issues. And um, that article that we were supposed to 
mainline our discussion around had a lot of interesting uh, points and uh, Drew was also in particular making some good points and I was not properly responding to him so now we're on our second chat but I'm incorporating this into uh, the already recorded uh, content and with that I welcome uh, you back uh, Ansley and Drew. <laughs> Happy to be back. Yeah, cool. yeah. Thanks for having us. We had a lot of fun last time. So, and I, yeah. I've always said you have to have two conversations. Like when you plan on one, it always turns into two. So I think this is just fate. Yeah, totally, and um, it probably is. Um, I've listened to our talk uh, the last time a couple a couple of times now, just to make sure that I'm updated. And um, one thing that I found really interesting that you told me uh, is that. You, um, you you studied philosophy and biology, and it was this uh, sort of Aristotelian uh, problem of of the prime mover. And uh, I just found it funny you said uh, that maybe it was a bit uh, childish of you. Um, and I just sort of, sort of found that funny <clears throat> because of what I said about being childish later in the talk. Uh, that maybe it's good to be childish. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, one thing. All right. So um, in that article, it's basically the refutation of materialism and the Gnostics. Uh, but in in particular, one thing uh, that we could sort of like start off with is um, I'm <clears throat> I made a claim that society dictates language and not the other way around and that is not actually true in reality as you easily showcased because um, of course there are people with uh, propaganda motives or they could have good motives as well <clears throat> who will rebrand language and stuff like that in in an attempt to to seize power of over the mind uh, or something like that or like I said, it, it could be good. It doesn't have to be bad. Uh, but I guess uh, sort of like, yeah, when they reenact the rebranding found like sort of like within the postmodern mythos uh, of basically sophistry, I like to just sort of like <clears throat> front uh, like I'm a rock that can't be moved that like, no, I don't care about the rules about language and I don't respect it and I'm not going to play along with it. But you're totally right. It does change a lot of things. Uh, how have you had experience with this rebranding of language in your academic setting or in your profession or something? Because you probably uh stopped going to school some years ago and i'm still in academia now in my final year so i'm just wondering how have you like witnessed or felt that uh or yeah how has it been for you so for me um you know it it seems to happen more often than not um and i think part of it is just the sort of territory of philosophy being really difficult subjects, really difficult questions, sometimes needlessly difficult or esoteric. Um, and so there's like this, there's this, um, 
seeming need to reinvent or reuse vocabulary. So um, you can't just say uh, will, right? You have to say, well, I mean, I mean, um, I mean, Schopenhauer's will, right? Or I mean, Nietzsche's will, or I mean, Locke's will, right? And And there's like this constant overlap and overloading of language that I think leads to people either inventing a new term or redefining an old term or you know if you're a diehard uh, German idealist or something you've got you have your foot down that only the German word will really you know capture this idea um, and so language is is clearly important it's it's like the way that we're going to communicate these things but it also has its limitations right um it serves so many purposes that i think it sometimes it's really helpful to reinvent a, a, a term or come up with something new um i think it, it just gets it gets kind of diabolical when it hits the masses because usually the common person's uh treatment of language is transparent it's a vessel of information it's non-biased right but in in reality i i would say these things you know language is biased it's it's loaded with values um and it subtly shapes conversations in ways that can um can lead to certain outcomes yeah <clears throat> that's uh totally true uh how about you ansley have you sort of like experienced uh any of this well, you know, Drew, Drew might disagree with me, and you you may also, but I just feel like there's this sort of like a lot of new speak going on, just a concrete example, oh, yeah. and I'll not get into it right now because I did that enough last time, but uh, <laughs> for instance, uh, what constitutes a vaccine, you know, and maybe oh, yeah. I've been getting into racial differences lately because I believe that human beings could be defined within the parameters of racial like differences but we just call it ethnicity now but it kind of describes the same thing but then they have a really negative connotation because they think of these british explorers you know measuring the skulls of africans and whatever and when i say race i that i i see a difference i i think it's because it's beautiful that we're different you know right <laughs> but, yeah, uh, well, yeah yeah i um I work in marketing, so my whole experience there is like rebranding of everything. Um, but yeah, no, what you were saying about race, we have we have a lot of clients at my firm that I work at that are getting involved in the DEI stuff. And there's a lot of language games going on there where where my coworkers just see it as, you know, being a good person. <laughs> And that, that's the kind of use of the language involved with DEI is like it, evidence that you are good and, and, you know, involved in the right sort of progressive stack. But I see it differently, you know, I, of course I have my own dissonant views and, um, it, it means something different to me. I see it as more political and more uh, biased, like you were saying. Yeah, I understand. Uh, and when it comes to uh, 
to philosophy and, and the usage of language and that uh, Franciscan friar in particular uh, that you gave attention to, uh, Drew, um, especially when you get into uh, medieval scholastic Catholicism, you see a lot of stuff all at the same time. Uh, of course, it's varied, but you have... Um, uh, these Catholic uh, monk orders, uh, they basically sort of, they sprang out from this Aristotelian uh, binary definition system and categorization of language. And, and what I think happened is that uh, <clears throat> the, the real scientists, uh, when basically, because that's like the dawn of science, the dawn of Western science comes from those schools um they, they realized that they could sort of use them for for their gains it is what it seems like the most to me and and i find it extremely interesting how some of uh, the argumentation uh that is on display by that franciscan friar what was his name again i should have yeah scotus uh scotus don scotus yes um that that like i said i oversimplified it when i talked last time but it really goes back to the like earliest quarrels that they had in the church and uh so from like his vantage point the usage of language in itself as a cultural phenomenon and as a sort of propaganda and like how to understand the notions and limitations of language itself uh, I also noticed that because I don't have it all in my head, like all of these thinkers, but I've been getting really into Bonaventura, who wrote the treatise called The Journey into the Mind of God. And what, what was cool about him is that he managed to sort of merge the Eastern Platonic, Neoplatonist mysticism with this sort of like strict Western categorization and rationality so he sort of introduced that a bit into the european fauna but what i very often see see through him as well is that he's basically making a lot of the same arguments as sam harris would make about for instance free will mm. so uh what what do you think about uh well about that uh, for for me what i'm what i'm noticing myself is that within post uh postmodernism uh and as you can see clearly it is treated as a religion like a holy sacrament that's also in display in that article that you sent me uh that these uh, transhumanists or whatever they they seem to of course not always but it seems like they come from this uh, tradition. And then when you, if you took perhaps the 10 most influential thinkers that would tend to agree with them, you could go all the way back in time to until like uh, Augustine. Uh, and it's like the same sort of argumentation. And yes, that's what I was going to get into. That's what is so interesting about Catholicism is that it's Aristotelian and it very often goes into this uh, thing that basically be because God is good uh, then 
society and reality around us must also be good and inhabit the beauty and outer edges of uh, of our godlike capabilities as created in the image of god and so that's the catholic catechism and that is also i find very interesting because that's like very it's a very positive view it's like a good view of the world um that like wow the beauty of god is in the world and and revolves all around us and lives through us as well but it also completely disregards uh the state of the fall of man and sin and the reality of mm. evil in our world but mm. they have good intentions if that makes sense oh totally yeah this is something that ansley and i have have talked about so um so to kind of go by um the the numbers the the numeric system that mark schiffman uses in the paper um one of our question one of our questions was basically well what's the difference between humanity 3.0 and humanity 3.5 right so the 3.0 is sort of the the Christian. It's like the it's like the early Christian viewpoint. Um, and 3.5. This is according to Schiffman is um, a sort of kind of like this view you're talking about, where you are maybe combining um, Athens 2. and 2.0 and 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're you know so you've got um, you have the the subjectivity rooted in prayer from 3.0, but did you, do you also have subjectivity rooted in this uh, notion of goodness in, in the world that sort of calls to you and to uh, commune with the goodness of nature, right? Um, and, and one thing that was a little confusing to us is that, well, it seems like the book of Genesis clearly states that uh, God's creation is good. Um, I know that there are some sort of Gnostic views and others that sort of paint nature as, um, you know, f itself is fallen, itself is is corrupted, uh, or the product of some demiurge. Um, but I think most Christians view God's creation as good itself. And so then to kind of finally put the question mark at the end is well so what's the difference between uh catholicism with an aristotelian uh, you know twist or or platonist twist what's the difference between that and i would say like the sort of general christian worldview about creation being good well uh <clears throat> There isn't really a difference in what they would profess. I would say it's more of where you place uh, your eye. Like, what? Where do you rest your eye at? At what? At what goal? A goal. And um, of course, uh, this goes into something else that's also very uh, important. So, uh, okay. <laughs> Being in academia at this time, at a theological faculty, I'm seeing clearly uh, a lot of subversion from Catholic actors. 
and others. And uh, they are go sort of like taking us or taking the students, and I can see what they're doing very clearly into this new language game thing where basically most of it revolves around changing because it's a Protestant, like we're a Protestant country, is supposed to be a Protestant community. And so what they want to do is that they want to basically rewarp what is low Lutheran, like a people's Lutheran, like 40 people, like everyone can uh, talk and have a say to a high Lutheran system of uh, a lot of like focus on proper rituals and proper ways of conducting oneself and uh, the headmaster in my school he is part of a catholic lodge like a lodge i don't remember their name like but opus he, day yeah basically like that and i was invited into that as well by him and i didn't want to uh, because what they're trying to do is uh, reintroduce the confession of your of your sins um but so so to get back to what you actually said and this does carry relevance to that um there's not really too much of a difference except sort of like where your spirit rests like in what like do you just um focus on the fact that the devil is a real entity in the world and uh, there's a lot of stuff that's sort of like bad and go into that or do you focus on the beauty but it's not that easy either it's not the dualism between those two what i think personally and what i've seen through the worldview which uh, asserts itself through the materialistic and rationalistic lens uh, and basically lays a lot of focus on that and not like correct scripture is that then a lot of people are led into strange ways of conducting oneself uh, in a religious uh, in a religious sense and um, this like uh, sort of heritage that goes down from that uh, Franciscan friar and onwards you can see how like Basically, because now I've gone through a lot of thinkers, but I never keep notes. I always just try to have it in my head. But every time when I see some of their productions and modes and modes of being like what they actually sort of put into the world, I see it as an as an instrument of uh are basically tricking humanity with with different uses of language and different scientific endeavors. Uh, so I'll let you have the word now. I could go. I should have explained that better, but it just that's how I see that at, at a macro level. But like as a personal being, you know, as an individual. I guess it doesn't matter too much, but it kind of does as well. Like, for instance, the fact that in Genesis, it said six times that God saw that creation was good and behold, it was very good and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> once you start sort of deviating away from some of the symbolic and archetypical deep truths of what was going on and just sort of focus on the good and then you are an optimist and a 
positively inclined person uh, but then at the same time you'll then be blinded because you're not aware of what lies behind it i guess mm-hmm. yeah um no I, I think that makes a lot of sense um i think um there's something that this made me think of oh <clears throat> you know when we've like we've kind of lately reapproached faith and uh i think i can kind of speak for Ansley as well but <clears throat> excuse me for for myself um you know there are certain books that i've learned from that have nothing to do with christianity um certain philosophy books certain novels certain um just works of art that have you know touched me in ways that are profound and i think transformative in some good ways um and one of the questions i had was okay well now that i'm reapproaching faith how do i reapproach those things through the lens of faith right so you know um whether it's a sort of like silly movie or whether it's some deep you know philosophy paper or something or or a deep <laughs> movie and silly philosophy um you know w- what is the right christian understanding of these ideas and this this is definitely relevant to our conversation because you know part of what we're talking about is combining east and west right um you mentioned sam harris you mentioned combining catholicism and aristotle but then you have people like Aquinas, um, people like, uh, you know, people who are combining paradigms, right? Um, taking from very different and distinct traditions. And in, <clears throat> in doing so, they sometimes they lose the identity of the, the traditions that they started with, right? The, the new synthesis isn't exactly uh, continuous with the old, Um and I, I wanted to, you know, see what you think about this, where, you know, um, it seems like you can have these worldviews play along as long as they play nicely, right? It's like once they start to do harm to the other, you start to lose what you had, right? So like you said, in Genesis, uh, God says clearly that it's good, it being creation, if if I have some other worldview or some other text that's telling me, well, that God was actually uh, joking when he said that, or it was a trick or, you know, he, whatever. Well, that seems to do harm to the original, you know, text that I was trying to incorporate. Um, and I don't know if you think this is like a good rule of thumb, if this gets us far enough to where we can kind of play with our favorite philosophy and our favorite um, you know, scripture. I, I, um, it, like from the Orthodox perspective, I feel like I've heard Orthodox people make the argument that it's kind of heretical to try to incorporate. It's like, it's almost like a, um, I don't know if it's platonic, but the, this, this idea that all religions are the same or, or all one there's all one religion. Um, I think that that's, that would be against, uh, against the Orthodox perspective. 
it's against <clears throat> the Christian perspective. But there's um, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we do and that we engage in. I uh, I'm pretty sure you're both gonna be uh, celebrating Christmas, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and Jesus was most likely not born on December twenty fifth. The only historical or mythical being that was born on December twenty fifth was Nimrod, who built the Tower of Babel, and. Uh, <laughs> He died. He was murdered by someone. I don't remember his name, but uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, something about the color of red and about the symbolism and that. Uh, I haven't really gotten into it, but he was murdered. And then his mother, who was also his lover and wife, went out in the forest and she saw a magical evergreen suddenly spring to life. And this was a sign that her son, Nimrod, had come back in the form of a spirit. And so in ancient Babylon, all the citizens of Babylon would go out and cut down specifically an evergreen tree, bring it inside their house. And then on December 25th, 24 to 25th in the night, the spirit of Nimrod would come into their house and under the tree and bring presents. <laughs> <laughs> So I, it's exactly that. Um, but yeah, okay, Drew. So, um, and Ansley, both of you. Um, uh, this is why I don't call myself uh, anything when it comes to Christianity. So uh, I'm educating to becoming a priest, but the entire field is taken over by this Vatican 2.0 creed, which states what Ansley was just critiquing, that... I mean, at the outer edges, it basically states that all the religions are the same and, and whatever. And I saw recently in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, they went to the Mount Sinai and uh, crushed a tablet of God's commandments and wrote 10 new climate commandments. <laughs> Have you seen that? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Wow. Uh, so... And my, my, my faculty is overtaken by it. The church is overtaken by it. And there's UN representatives everywhere. It's just crazy. I never thought I would see this in my life. Like when I was just five years younger, I never envisioned that I would be in this situation. But here I am. Wow. Um, but Don't so, they have like a statue of Pachamama in, in the Vatican? Oh, <clears throat> I'm not sure about that. The only thing I know is that it was constructed atop of the Vatica, which was the mm -hmm. god of the underworld, and there's a big snake head in the Pope's <laughs> room and whatever. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of strange. Um, and also, like, Jesus is depicted in a nuclear holocaust, and the side of his head is a snake. And then there's, like, wow. fire and brimstone coming up behind him. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. But yeah. um, like I can get along with uh, with anyone. I'm friends with like pagans and whatever. The only thing about uh, most pagans uh, that I've sort of discovered myself here in Norway is that they're just kind of it's a derogatory word. I use bad language too much. I should stop. But they're they're kind of like <laughs> dim-witted. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they just like don't know a bunch of things, and they're also very like. Uh, what seems to drive them the most is this like sort of they're kind of mad because christianity won 
because we here in Norway we have like a big pagan culture because there was a lot of like fighting with the Christians and they're just they're just kind of pissed off that that these Christians beat them you know um, but like it's only because of Christians that we have the Beowulf translations like and that's the same with like people in South America so the Catholic Church in particular I really don't like the Catholic Church and what they've done but you know what now I'm doing that thing I did last time I'll get back into what you were actually talking about Rue and that is uh yeah what was it yes when it comes to incorporating different things uh yeah it is heretical to some extent but like uh I take great inspiration, like my my favorite philosophy and my favorite thoughts. Uh, well, uh, Hippo, Alec Alexandria of Hippo, or what his name was, uh, that Jewish uh, first translator of biblical narratives. He's one of my favorite philosophers. I really like Plato, despite the fact that a lot of technocrats and fascists use him and I mean, he was a fascist by what by what he said, but he also had <laughs> yeah. a lot of interesting thoughts. And a eugenicist, um, right? Yeah, yeah, that that too. <laughs> but you know, it was a different time back then. You know, they just looked <laughs> yeah. at all the slaves and like, why do we? Was it really to... that different though? The more I learn about it, it seems like we're basically in the same situation. Yes, except uh, we're not as cultured, really. Smart. Yeah, <laughs> or, or like strong, you know, because right. of food, diet, and I don't know, all kinds of weird stuff. That, yeah, we're we're basically being poisoned all the time by the medical mm -hmm. industry and by the food industry and everything. So, uh, but um, my my favorite like sort of period when it re revolves around philosophy and stuff, I love the early church fathers and the discourse that happened between them, especially the Syriacs, uh, but also the Greeks. And uh, one thing that I find really interesting, and there's a dude named Wolfgang Smith who does an interview about this. That's really interesting. He's an astrophysicist and a very Christian man. Uh, and he goes into the fact that... Um, for instance, the development of the Holy Trinity as a truth that exists is also something that you witness within uh, the Chaldean triad of love, where you have uh, truth, love, and then faith is the highest, highest virtue. Um, but also like modern philosophies. But I just feel like it kind of went out the cliff uh, in the medieval scholastic Catholic period. N not that it's all bad. That's not what I mean. Like, I like Bonaventura. I, li I like a bunch of philosophers uh, as well. But it just came to a certain point eventually where it seems like basically almost every philosophy that I encounter is a new form of a new systematization sy yeah, of materialistic findings mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you know but that's all we can really do and that you know that was aristotle's whole point and he was right he was not wrong it's not i'm not saying that he, he was wrong or anything but it's just how it was sort of used uh 
yeah, I, I keep going back to that point, but I just find it very interesting. But when it comes to incorporating other thoughts and whatever, uh, I think everyone should be free uh, to do to do whatever they want in that regard. But there are just like certain truths and certain things that if you uh, take the time to learn them or, or if you ponder on them enough, you realize that the extension of their validity is of such a nature that incorporating it or not incorporating it within within your sanctum of, of who you are and what you actually believe uh, can manifest a, basically a change of your of your soul or of your inner core in a way where like you know that truth within you for instance the world was created good god saw that it was good the snake and the Eden apple and whatever. But I just find that interesting as well, because in the ordinary Bible, it says that God was really mad at Adam and Eve because they had eaten from the fruit. But in the book of Enoch, it does not say any such thing. An archangel takes Enoch on a visionary journey through space and time and shows him everything. And uh, the only thing that uh, is basically revealed there is that after having eaten from that apple, the state of being in the garden was not fit for Adam and Eve anymore. And then they sort of went on their journey. And I've been getting really into that in my Bible lecture series. And I'm going to be writing extensively on it because that is the main point that the Gnostics and other materialists like to latch onto in order to cast God as a tyrant and an evil oppressor. Uh, and what I'm saying now is quite heretical because what I'm saying is that the ordinary Bible, the King James Version, I don't necessarily follow that only. I also rely on other sources as well, you know, and that's very heretical. But to me, it just, you know, it could be that God was angry, but it makes more and that doesn't mean that i don't believe the bible to be true just because i realized that the time it was written down before that was even written down and i believe it to be true it was passed along campfires by nomadic people who had like a very sort of like patriarchal structure and like in a very like developed uh, way like like sort of in a way that even the most trad and based <laughs> like homesteader orthodox people today would not accept like it was a hard time you know it was a hard people and they were out on about and so that maybe that's why it's written that way you know and uh, but that's this what is why you, i'm getting yeah <laughs> um well what do you think maybe this is a heretical question but what do you think would have happened if Eve hadn't eaten from the tree? Oh, um, if Eve hadn't eaten from the tree. Well, okay, so I'm of the opinion that God intended for her to eat of the tree. Really? No. Yeah. Hmm. Because God is all-powerful and almighty, I'm pretty sure he knew that was going to happen. Right. I don't think it caught him by surprise. I don't think it was like, oh no, who could have thought that Lucifer, who hates humanity, would trick them? Blast it, you know. <laughs> uh, I think it was, um, but it, no, 
If she hadn't eaten from the tree, it was the first temptation and Adam is the first man. And what I know about the Orthodox Church is that they consider Christ the second man. Mm-hmm. But uh, what would have happened is that life in the garden would have uh, would have continued. And uh, but I, I think like that garden state thing, uh, I, I believe it's is it very, eternal life. Yeah, it it is eternal life, but it's like an eternal existence within a system of bliss. But you're not personalized in the same. Right. In the same manner. I, I feel like it's kind of like, it's like a dimension that we're, we're not capable of understanding because of the nature of this world and because of our genetic and psychological uh, makeup. But uh, I really think like uh, the garden, that's where we're headed back or perhaps uh, we will... Well, it depends on our actions and whatever. But another thing that sort of seems to be on the table is um, like once we die, uh, of course, you have the revelation and Christ comes back and takes 10,000 people with him. But it's also uh, perhaps uh, going back to uh, sort of like an angelic uh, state. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say this kind of reminds me of uh, this. I follow this guy on Twitter that claims to be a Pleiadian. Do you know anything about this? Like a part of the Galactic Federation. Oh, yeah. yeah I know a lot about yeah. that. They, they basically claim that there's going to be a, a shift into 5D. Yes, I've seen a lot of that. Yeah, it, it just kind of what you said about uh, Eden being a uh, d- a different dimension that we can't understand. It kind of made me think of that. Like a, maybe it's not like a physical necessarily like the way that we think of physical, but um, actually in a different level of being a different dimension. Yes, and uh, higher dimensions are not, they're not up in the sky. They're not mm-hmm. above your head. They're inside right. of the atom. And as you get further and further inside, you get closer to the source of all creation, which is God. And then I think that these stories handed down are archetypical and completely true. And then they have been interpreted mostly by by humans but there there's a difference when it comes to for instance prophets uh, of the old testament like moses um mm-hmm. there i think there's a higher degree of <clears throat> of like this is more sort of like legit it's not like the entire bible is legit and there's a lot of stories in the bible where like for instance i think the best critique against christianity out of all of them is the story of Job when it comes to like uh, him uh, supposedly having to sacrifice his child. Um, but that's like, it revolves around how they communicated at the time <clears throat> and the cultural customs. And what they are describing 
is a scene out of a cosmic drama that has much more like it's more important than what we realize the nature of sin itself and actually the first human sin like the eating of the apple was not the first sin the eating of the apple is when sin penetrated into the world but the first actual sin was when Cain slew Abel and that's also written down in the book of Enoch and it takes a big precedence in that tome um and the angels are like really preoccupied with that uh talking about it uh, and stuff like that and um i'm a bit of a mystic myself i don't know uh the last two years i've had three visionary dreams uh that were visions oh. and not dreams and it's been really strange but the one that i remember the most clearly is when I sort of woke up and then I went through like different like hoops to other dimensions. And then I saw like higher angelic beings. And when I was there, they got like really pissed off and like chased me <laughs> out and stuff. But there was one angelic being who was really nice, who was, uh, it seemed like a female in my vision. And uh, she was just explaining to me, okay, this is why when you were a teenager, you were acting like this and like that. And here's like the ramifications of that and why that was wrong and whatever. And it was just really trippy. And so I, I'm really coming to believe a lot of that stuff. But when it comes to like the Pleiadians, that goes into, you know, Kanye West with his alien cult. This oh, one. yeah. Everything yeah. has to be about aliens. And I just remember when the History Channel suddenly became the alien channel. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. And I was hanging out with these like uh, indigenous kids. Like I grew up in a, a fairly affluent middle class area, but 500 meters from me they built these like public housing blocks and when i was a teenager i started hanging out with those kids and a lot of them were from south america and so when i was a teen we would like smoke weed and hang out and whatever and uh, <laughs> and watch uh, ancient aliens and stuff <laughs> and we were all like into that and uh, but you know there's more and more evidence, um, like through that snake oil salesman, Graham Hancock, he is just such a trickster. But there's a lot of stuff he's saying that's true. But the thing is, all those ancient megaliths and whatever, and the pyramids that somehow weirdly align with star systems. And you have all these tablets of these beings that came with bags in their hands and they have angels, no angel wings. Right. Yeah, that's what it says in the Bible, too. Like, that angels came down to Earth and taught humanity a bunch of things and started intermingling and doing genetic experiments on people. Hmm. And that's what has always been, like, Satan's thing as well. Uh, it's actually about the DNA and about the seed. Is that, that the happened. No, that's like the third eye, I think. Right. Okay. But with the uh, with the DNA and the seed stuff, oh, I don't I don't even remember when it was right now. But I just know uh, that a lot of those ancient tales basically revolves around that because Satan was trying to prevent Jesus from being born. Right. That's also why he wanted to count all the people. 
And uh, that's like reminds me of the World Health Organization's documents, <laughs> uh, Global Governance of the Human Genome. <laughs> and their logo is snake on a staff. <laughs> right. Uh, but what do you think, Drew? You can um, shoot in whatever you want here. You can also uh, take it on to some philosophy stuff if you want to. Okay. No, I mean, this is, I feel like this is just the nature of this conversation is just, there's so much to talk about. And so, you know, maybe two isn't even enough. Um, but uh, one thing that, that you said earlier, um, you know, we were talking about incorporating, you know, various different traditions, various different, you know, texts or, or, you know, artworks. Um, and you said something that got me thinking about, you know, um, a sort of coherentism, you know, where you, you basically, look, you can, you can believe five very different things from five different traditions, but, um, but they need to, they need to mesh together nicely in some way. And, um, you know, one of the things that the that the paper made me think of is is how, you know, Mark Schiffman talks about how, well, the transhumanists today don't really have a notion of goodness, right? Um, they 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 act like they do. It's like it's like, you know, you know, in, in Roadrunner when Wiley e. Coyote is chasing the Roadrunner and he keeps running. And he's able to keep running, even though he's off a cliff because he doesn't look down. It's like, you know, they're operating as if there's some notion of goodness. Um, but when you look at their sort of the pieces of, of tradition that they're playing with, they don't really have it. Um, you know, how do you sort of operate in that world without a, a notion of goodness? And, and I think, you know, even some of the, ancient alien stuff like we still need to have some notion of goodness in nature otherwise i think we're sort of doomed from from the beginning i don't know if you guys agree or disagree Ansley? i'm sorry i wasn't listening <laughs> well that's fine I I'll keep this in the podcast that's funny <laughs> that's that's I'm sorry, I was there trying to I was trying to tell my sister that we're on a phone call um, in okay. case she gets home. And sorry, this is. Um, I told you. I told you last time that this is like a, a glimpse into like our kitchen conversations, and yes. I think right. it just got it, it just got very realistic. Yes, yeah. but uh, that's like good. Every time. The more real, the more real, the better it is. And I just dropped <laughs> something you, on the floor as well. <laughs> so, but basically, to to sort of like, I guess you know, bring it home in some kind of shorter form, you know, the transhumanists don't have a notion of good. You know, they've, they've turned even our bodies into another project for engineers to take a look at. Um, and I think you can operate on a daily, on a daily basis without a notion of good, but it's incoherent. And it's important that we have coherent worldviews. Right. Yes. I agree. It is important that we have coherent worldviews, and it's important to have uh, a notion of good. Um, but that is what has been undermined, and quite specifically, uh, truth, the truth itself, through the right. postmodern and objectivity. Objectivity. But at the same time, it's sort of like schizophrenic, uh, because 
it's this like claim towards an objective standard that claims to be ir not religious but is clearly religious in nature anyway and and this sort of like schism in in way of thinking in whatever neuron pathways or cultural expression on a macro level uh is on display pretty much everywhere like there's just so much uh cognitive uh, dissonance in general and uh, and that comes in large part it comes from the academies like can't blame it all on the academies of course but just like generally speaking um yeah there's so much crazy gook they're writing there these days and i see it around me too uh and and it is this like weird i don't really know what happened what has happened to these people i i had to write a paper one time where i was specifically asked to revolve my paper around the writings of this theologian woman and she wrote a thing about how yeah martin luther about how how he's like racist and all kind of stuff like that and like <laughs> whatever and just a horrible basically don't listen to him and the the problem with him according to her was what i am also sort of critiquing but i feel like i have a better argument than her but but what she is saying is that we need to stop uh using rationality and objectivity which comes from the greek and from scholasticism and then she basically inserts a failsafe for her own argument because she she argues for that and then she places this failsafe that like oh if you actually <laughs> read my all the things i write here now and critique it using rationality or logic you have committed the mistake that i'm telling you not to commit mm, and then that's nice. yeah and then from there she goes on to at the very end that like uh but the no he wasn't actually racist at all he was actually really into opening the horizons and we need to think more holistically and therefore we need to listen to these lived experiences of indigenous people and women and black liberation theology and bah, 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 bah. i was just like going mental when i, when I had to write five five pages around that and I said, how am i gonna do this this is the dumbest thing i've read in my entire life <laughs> it's crazy how many so you know i think that philosophy largely failed historically to answer the questions it's set out to answer. Um, and I think that where it landed was both sort of brilliant in, in its like analysis of language, um, but also really destructive because most of our conversations shifted to meta conversations about, well, what would it mean to say that something is true, right? Um, what would it mean to say that this has meaning? Um, and those meta conversations sort of uh, deflated a lot of the sort of metaphysical mystery in, 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 in the schools. Um, and at the same time, we had to have something to, to chew on, right? And everything turned to liberation politics, right? Um, and, and 
I think, I think that's good. Historically, that's a really good thing for us to do. I think there were a lot of people that historically needed liberating. Um, but once we sort of freed the sort of people who were legitimately, you know, um, in need of liberation, we still went about calling ourselves liberators, but this time we're sort of like liberating children from their chores or liberating, you know, people from health standards or liberating people from, you know, uh, uh, things like responsibility. Um, I think we've sort of run out of, of causes in that way. And all we're doing is sort of deconstructing everything, right? Everything is being reduced to a, like an obstacle or something for us to sort of, um, you know, figure out a way around. Totally true. And uh, that's what I've learned myself is that, uh, well, I'm trying to live up to my new standard, but I finally learned that you cannot deconstruct deconstructionism. The only thing you can do, well, you know, you, you should be able to out them, like just say this is wrong, how and why, and finished with that. Um, but you need to present another version of something that falls under the category constructionism instead. Mm -hmm. And creation itself is very important to create whatever it is um just something uh creativity music programming poetry woodwork anything at all right. um because like uh, on a larger perspective like you just see what's happening in canada with all like uh euthanasia and whatever it's like uh, literally it seems like just a, a death cult that suddenly swept across mm. the world you know just like uh, <clears throat> and through this uh system of justification uh, but one thing also that's very important and uh, some of the value that is inherent in christian communities and orthodox church uh, i might become orthodox i don't know we'll see but the big <laughs> value there is the community and like a sort of uh, hmm, should i use that word yeah a centralized standard for the community to strive to follow as opposed to just everyone uh, doing their own thing and having, because that's like a big thing that I see a lot. I have family now from California and there's so many new age cults there and so many Kundalini people and vegans and all kinds <laughs> of stuff and alien people. And it just seems like it is always like the same thing where you can have your own religious conviction inside of your home and consume <laughs> and then eventually mm -hmm. it will consume you instead <laughs> mm -hmm. right because like you know i i don't like marx at all but i can't say like he's not dumb definitely not you have a lot of people running around now embracing libertarianism libertarianism is just uh, the fourth or fifth form of marxian thought and he was also right uh, in that that eventually you become the product and then eventually the, ne the next thing that i didn't i guess think about is that once you have become the product then you're the one who becomes consumed mm. right we were just talking about libertarianism before yeah. the call don't tread on me <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we were talking about how it's kind of like there's two strand strains of it where 
I mean, I think everyone kind of goes, I don't know about you, but I went through a libertarian phase and like politically before I, I'm still, I'm still changing politically. So I haven't like landed anywhere, but I, I, I definitely saw the, the appeal of live and let live. And like, there was a sort of innocent strain of, I guess maybe I disagree with this now, but when I was a libertarian, it seemed, it seemed like a, it, it didn't seem evil, you know, it didn't seem like I, like I had the, the whole end game in mind. Um, but now I recognize that not, it, it is a sort of projectionist uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the idea is something like, well, first let's just leave each other alone and we'll take it from there. And I think there's a similar strain in, in the progressive movement where it's like, well, first we need to just accept that people are different, right? Um, but this radical acceptance is, it's its super sort of innocent. It's almost, you know, innocent by, by definition. We're just trying to accept people. We're not trying to judge people. But then you look, you look a little closer and back to the whole coherent thing. This is not coherent, right? Um, you know, there's the whole, um, uh, who is it that says, is it Marcuse who basically says, or is it Habermas, who basically says, look, you can't actually be completely accepting. It can't be completely tolerant, right? There's this uh, tolerant intolerance where, you know, well, we can tolerate everybody except for conservatives, because conservatives are basically you know, fascists who are stuck in in time, you know, stuck in the past. Um, You know, radical acceptance and radical freedom are not as free and accepting as they seem to be, but they're both very pro-consumer, right? They're both like perfectly aligned with markets. Totally true. And uh, he touches on something in that article as well. That's something that I've talked about as well, um, the sort of like Marxian versus uh, capitalist inclination is just two clown faces of the same materialistic mm. structure. Right. And I believe it to be <laughs> Kenyan, uh, just basically. But uh, yeah, when it comes to uh, libertarianism, yeah, it's not evil, but it's just the total abandonment of standards. And it's really silly, right. it's not gonna work. Like uh, you, you actually do need a sort of like state and some sort of coherency in society. And this is what has been attacked. Um, I can report from a high trust collectivist society. It has done great damage here with this vaccine and everything and a bunch of other things as well. But having a society that functions and operates within that parameter always it like when you when you get down to the collective mass when everyone is sort of like in agreement about something that's either that's good or that's bad uh i have noticed that it's always like 80 iq it's really retarded every time but (laughs) but at least it functions it operates to some extent uh while you know I have a really good friend of mine who uh, he just hit 10k followers on Twitter. He's big into crypto mining. You know, he's an analyst, uh, but he's like very libertarian and stuff like that. But sometimes we get into discussions about it because 
he has some blind blind spots you know and uh, mm -hmm. but that yeah. seems like uh, sort of like a yeah a bigger end goal the real goal is libertarianism i suppose uh that that seems to be the real goal not this sort of, but, but also in a way like sort of crypto fascist in a way and not not fascist in that it instills any morals or values but fascist in a way that like all right well if you're not in this tech sector that we are and you're not a big uh, crypto whale or whatever you can't code then you're just a useless person who's polluting the planet Mm, and mm -hmm. so we don't need you and that's what they're telling everyone as well you know so that's yes. like the great reset you know that's a nazi doctrine i would say there's a um there's a really cool video that i saw talking about foucault and um and talking about uh i think it was uh they're losing atari so so basically they give a history of of um the kind of like macro power structures um and first you go or one of the early sort of paradigms is a uh, disciplinary society so this is where like oh you stole a loaf of bread we're going to cut your hand off you um you know you slept with the king's wife we're going to kill everybody right um so this is like you're sort of subject to um, sort of direct uh, punishment. And then the next phase is a sort of controlled society. Um, and this is like, well, look, if you want to have a, a good paying job, then, you know, you need to wear a suit and tie. You need to have your, your hair a certain way. You need to, you know, behave a certain way, um, you know, around your boss. Um, if you want to go to a good school, you need to do this in school, you know, and so this is like a sort of uh, controlling behavior through setting certain standards. Um, and then the next phase is called like an access society. And this is where so we are basically crowdfunding this with our mass data collection. So you say, I'm going to wear this watch and it's going to report every time I work out, right. It's going to, it's going to log in a database, my, um, my heart rate and how long I worked out, how many calories I burned. Um, and then how often every month I do this. Right. And I'm going to log all of my data, you know, and every, everything I do. And then these institutions, these, these tech companies basically are going to create um services that we want access to and that access is going to be mitigated through certain uh criteria right and so they're going to decide like these gates right they're going to say well sure anybody with you know um this percentage body fat or anybody who's of this age and has a history of i don't know eating vegetables and, and running or whatever can have access to this healthcare plan or whatever, right? Um, and I think this is basically seen best, I think, in like the, the CCP's social credit system where everything is connected and you're sort of free in a sense, but you don't have access to anything, right? Um, it's all private. 
and it's all mitigated through um, a sort of profile that um, is used against you. Um, and I think it's it's super scary because I don't I don't really see anybody putting up much of a fight against it. Yeah, you're right. But uh, no, <clears throat> yeah, both yes and no. People are putting up a fight against it and they're also not putting up a fight against it. It's kind of like in the middle. I've yeah. noticed a lot of people who brand themselves as completely dissident here in Norway are suddenly now uh, <laughs> enacting this type of fed behavior. <laughs> like they're just suddenly, they've just changed suddenly. And also a lot of the stuff, discourse I see on Twitter, a lot of like supposed politicians and others who hold some really stupid ideas. A lot of them are AI and you can see that they always have that same type of profile picture. It's like grainy. It looks like their <laughs> hair has this like white grain to it. It's really bizarre and it's very specific. And I could give you like seven different examples. And they all have this like views about trans people and the vaccine and whatever. You know, you know what I'm talking about, that type of view. And they post all the time. So that's just kind of weird too, you know? Um, so I don't really, know. but you know, I think they've kind of pooped their pants a little bit. I, what it seems like to me is that they don't actually have the technological capability or the systemic infrastructure in place to go through with such a plan. Uh, they, well, they need us to build it, right? Yeah, you have mm -hmm. to build it, you know, and that's why they're sort of like throwing, uh, what's it called? Throwing the baby out with the sink water? Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. bath water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the bath water. Uh, like, for instance, recently now in Oxford, they published these plans to have this, like, basically turn Oxford into a prison camp because of the climate change. That, like, <laughs> you had yeah. to, you couldn't uh, pass <laughs> certain zones and whatever. And then uh, right. the like council responsible for drafting that absolutely daft legislation, they were like met by angry protesters. And then, of course, in the media, it was like, oh, council members subjected to abuse, abusive behavior. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the same type of rhetoric, too. There's like one big uh, vaccine tech pusher here in Norway, and she's just horrible. Like she, she was one of those people who are like, oh, if you're unvaccinated, you shouldn't be allowed to uh, visit people at Christmas. And uh, then people get mad at her, of course, you know, because everybody knows now, basically everyone, that the vaccine just wasn't very good at all and probably dangerous or something you know who knows but then she like goes out in the media and she's like oh look i'm being subjected to abuse all these trolls mm -hmm. online are abusing me it's a woe is me <laughs> they always do right. it's so stupid it's like it just looks pathetic that's the thing about this mm. like it doesn't seem like I don't get any semblance of strength, integrity, or honor through any of this. The only thing I can see is lies and apathetic, pathetic behavior. And so that mm -hmm. makes me less afraid of them. 
<laughs> because like what right. okay maybe they do have these whatever powers or something but they're just a bunch of losers <laughs> you know i don't know yeah what do you think, Ansley? <laughs> well i think i i think in the context of this paper and that i think i sent you the video it's a uh, jay dyer and james Lindsay and a couple other people but they talk about this a lot in that video um that people don't really understand the philosophical and historical underpinnings of all this stuff so we get caught up and that's why like facts and logic never sways any normies opinions about anything because they're caught up in a worldview that they don't they don't even understand and i think the people that are like the normie-esque they might be agents i don't know but the, the people that are pimping the vaccine and the people that are super into the race politics and stuff like that i think i think they're like caught up in this worldview and they don't they don't understand it and and i think people are catching on like like <laughs> james Lindsay is doing a lot of work in this realm um with the the sort of historical underpinnings of all this stuff like where it comes from but I think that's why it feels like 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 you were saying it's like halfway between people are doing something and people aren't doing anything um I feel like it's because of this because we don't we're 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 still learning we're still like catching up mm. with understanding it <laughs> understanding where it comes from why why mm -hmm. why this is happening why why can't you have a conversation based around facts and change someone's mind that doesn't happen mm -hmm. yeah that's i true. think normies are are very emotional um, emotionally driven and manipulated i i will say i think i was probably unfair saying that no one's doing anything i think you guys have, have kind of shown that and and another thing uh, kind of like piggybacking off of what Anthony is saying is i think this these conversations remind me of uh like a like a sort of good evangelism right so i think a good version of it says something like hey don't you feel like your life is kind of missing something like don't you feel something is something kind of off and i think a lot of people today sense culturally spiritually intellectually like something is off they they know that that we live in a sort of absurd world and the two options seem to be you can you can sort of live in a sort of absurdist consumerism or look for some genuine meaning somewhere um and i think that's where people like you know james lindsay do a lot of good work because they're able to articulate how we ended up so confused culturally. Um, they can actually give you a, a history, um, which is helpful. I think, I think we all, I think a lot of people intuitively feel like something's off. We just need guidance. Yeah, that's totally true. And, uh, the shepherd leads the flock and something something about that um but uh yeah so 
I know a lot of uh, spiritual dissident people here in Norway. Uh, some of them are within those confines of uh, the Burning Man crowd and such uh, circles uh, like that. Um, but a lot of that stuff is uh, Luciferian, but they don't really, I don't think they understand it. But I'm trying to show that to them i guess through my words and my works uh one thing that i've noticed with a lot of uh, especially germans like intelligent germans and you know i don't really know what's up with the germans but you know you have nietzsche and freud and jung and you have all those people you know just and martin luther as well but they're like very very intelligent but they seem to have this sort of like misanthropy for the world. And that's sort of like why the Green Coalition is so big in Germany. I think it also explains why Nazism came about because a lot of the, there's been a lot of Germans who have moved to Norway who are sort of affluent hippies. And they buy property and farms and whatever. And there's a bunch of communities and I met them. Um, but they continue to shill certain things that goes against the survival of their own society. Even when we can see now in Germany what is happening. Like there's going to be power blackouts and everything. But, you know, that's part of a geopolitical script. And... Uh, <clears throat> I've learned now that there's just certain things relating to the Russia and Ukraine situation and the situation in Germany, biolabs and the Nord Stream pipeline that uh, I don't think I should talk about. <laughs> gotten some threats about that. Uh, oh, wow. One thing that was really funny, I'm not going to get too much into this, but I'll tell you right now, and I will actually publish this, is... Uh, I was just making a joke <laughs> because someone we were like having a, a jesting discussion about who blew up the pipelines. And then mm -hmm. I was saying that, uh, oh, you need to watch out for the Polish pierogi mafia. And I was just making a joke about how they're just like the Mexican cartels and that they go <laughs> into a coffin, but instead of eating mushrooms, uh, they eat pierogi and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, and then Twitter locked my account out and said, are you contemplating suicide? <laughs> oh, interesting. And then a bit later, I found out that that joke was actually eerily more accurate than it should have been. <laughs> it was three days yeah. after the event, and they were probably wondering, what the fuck, how did he know that? But I didn't know it. I was just making a joke. <laughs> and I won't say anything more about that. Just something happened with someone i guess with some uh, agents in europe <laughs> and uh, i was just got this basically threat you know don't kill yourself or whatever that's how i interpret it because a lot of other people have gotten that message as well when they get a bit too close to certain things and you see this is what i was always trying to tell my crypto friends and i i know a couple of crypto not billionaires, but man, multi-millionaires. And I was just telling them, like, look, you're not going to be able to escape this system just using crypto. And especially if you have a public profile, because then you'll be perceived as a threat. 
and uh, mm-hmm. look what happened now. Like all these uh, crypto billionaires, crypto guys suddenly, are dying. <laughs> yeah, they're just dying, you know. And it's not really that surprising, you know. <laughs> like I, didn't, yeah. I haven't heard about this. I didn't know this uh, was happening. Well, there's oh, like, like three uh, or four of them. Yeah. Yeah, and one of them was saying that the CIA and the Mossad uh, had like. Uh, human trafficking know. operations uh, yes and moment. they were gonna kill him <laughs> yeah and then he drowned like yes. the next day wow so something weird is happening there with those people for sure um but you know the only thing we can do is uh, is roll with the tide but that's like on a spiritual level i kind of knew that, that that was not gonna work because Mm-hmm. within that sphere of uh, basically like what 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 propels you forward when you're doing that it's not just a matter of survival it is uh, a matter of becoming rich in a situation where the entire world is becoming poor and at the same time i just see, sense a lot of that spirit in those communities that they really don't care about other people and they're not mm-hmm. at all interested in trying to fight it or to do anything to try to fight it they're just interested in becoming rich securing and getting, their own fortune yeah. yeah and then getting away yeah. you know and escape it's a form of escapism and so a lot mm-hmm. of those people that i know who are really rich i would always send them that meme of like marion and pippin like there's not gonna be a shire pippin you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, right, because right. like you know you can't just like and what the f- they think maybe oh what you're gonna hire uh, security and like have your own little farm like that's what happened in mexico you know <laughs> that's right. like all the cartels and whatever so oh the entire world is now going to become like uh, these different mexican cartels i don't think that's gonna work too well either like people will crave a savior they will crave someone to come and mitigate some of the errors that has been done and that's where why we see this like great awakening and on to your point, Ansley, with uh, the Pleiadians, uh, it's just, I think it's funny mm-hmm. that they call them the Pleiadians, like the plebs, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe there's something to that. It's just a type of language that we don't understand. But uh, it just seems like to me, if, if there ever is like an influx of uh, these uh, spiritual teachers that come from beyond, then I would just consider them fallen angels, like because of what I know. <laughs> it's like I would not, I would just be like, please leave me alone. I want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do you think, Drew? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think as far as people getting, you know, rich, I think it, it's, it's tricky because, you know, um, the game is happening on multiple levels at the same time. And it's so frustrating, like Elon Musk, you know, Ansley and I talk about, about him, you know, how, so I don't know what his intentions are, um, but he seems to be for the short term aligned with a sort of group that has been um, an outsider group, right? This like sort of, conservative political group in the in the United States for the past you know couple of years has sort of been shafted by big tech 
and he knows that and he he's kind of swoops in and aligns himself with them um you know i think temporarily i don't think he's actually aligned with them in terms of their values i don't think he's aligned with them um in any other way other than he knows how to read a room um and i think it's it's tempting he's like to an play opportunist. he's an opportunist exactly and it's it's tempting on both sides to just take a short-term win right so for the audience we're like finally there's somebody who's kind of sticking it to that group that was sticking it to us um and in terms of these crypto bros they're like finally i'm i'm making it right i mean like everyone's sort of assignment in life in the capitalist world we live in is to provide for themselves right um and it's hard to it's hard to argue against that but there is also a sec a higher order you know game being played and if we don't keep that in mind we lose in the end like you said there's not going to be a shire <laughs> right <laughs> what i've taken notice of is uh, in my theological faculty and this relates to your point actually um, they were teaching all this liberation theology and black feminist liberation and basically Marxism as Christianity. Um, <clears throat> and then I read some articles about how that really came from the Russian KGB in the 80s. They basically uh, created it. Um, and that's too bad, I guess. But it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it just seems like... Uh, so what me and a friend of my OK Schizo sort of concluded with uh, <clears throat> one and a half years ago is that it's uh, a play out of the great leap forward in China, but in the West. And things are a bit confusing because the thing is uh, the bourgeoisie or the sort of useless uppercase class, the paper peddlers and the opinion pushers, they're the ones being uh, culture revolutionized. They are conducting a culture revolution upon themselves in a myriad of ways. First of all, you can see just how they're dehumanizing themselves in some of the more extreme cases where you have, you know, little children, they cut their genitals off and whatever. That's absolutely inhuman. It is just such a vile and despicable sort of like mangala expression of evil that is happening towards people, but they're doing it to themselves. And then the second way that they're doing it is that they're sort of like usually these like big city people, and then they're going to bring about some food shortages and stuff like that. And then the third way is just in the cultural sphere. Like they're just sort of like, you can see how a lot of them are just these like sort of really vindictive and baseline uh, on the narcissism scale, really, because all, all that really drives them is uh, trying to up one on, on other people and are like looking down on the working class. And then this breeding hatred is like building up and whatever. And I saw a really funny meme on on 4chan where like someone was posting a picture of Elon Musk and then it said pool and he was holding a joint and then under it said pot like pool pot <laughs> because I think that's his role in this he's gonna be the pool pot but it's not gonna be as bad as it was then but it's gonna be psychologically and spiritually similar 
there's going to be a lot of the same like it's going to boil over and be unleashed right back at them and that's why and the social credit system and universal basic income stuff is coming but it's the western standard of that it's the western sort of entry point to that um meanwhile china the reason why they're uh, building all their camps and killing everyone is because even under normal circumstances about five years ago they calculated that about 600 million Chinese people could starve at any time if something wow. happened. Uh, and now the, what is it called? Some cold time is coming upon us, uh, the great solar minimum or something. So the, the earth is going to cool. And as with everything else that you see around you everywhere, it's always the opposite of what's being said. Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. Like everything is being flipped on its head. Absolutely everything. So for instance, well, you know about all the other things, but global warming, like, yeah, mm -hmm. there's climate change. And I do think that CO2 can have some negative contribution to certain ecosystem things. Uh, but global warming is not what's happening. It's a global cooling. <laughs> that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to prepare for. Isn't that what they started with in like the 70s? Yes, it is. But uh, it is actually going to substantially cool down the earth, probably. I mean, they're already seeing signs of it in China. And the problem with that is that there's a lack of, uh, of rain. And that goes across the world. Last year in, uh, in Norway, here in Oslo, I've never seen so little rain in my life. But then, you know, they're spraying the skies. And you know, they're not spraying the skies with pesticides to poison you. It, they're doing it to create uh, better weather conditions. It's geoengineering. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. why they're doing that. Is it because like they need water. Particles or something? Well, yeah, I don't really know exactly what's in that, but I do not think that the main purpose of doing that is to poison people or whatever. What it seems like is that it has to do with weather modification that Rain is necessary. And yeah, and Norway is in a dangerous predicament because we're basically, we're one of the largest power producers in Europe now because... You know, they shut down all the nuclear plants everywhere. You right. know? And I think right. the reason for that is because they're afraid of uh, attack, you know, because of this conflict brewing. Uh, but so they need to create rain. And that's what, what I think is happening there. And I've read like public documents about it, even in Normie newspapers, where they just say, yes, we create weather and we've been doing it since <laughs> the Vietnam War. And we've been doing it, especially in Britain, since 2002. Thank you for paying attention. You know. <laughs> I think we I think we have maybe another five or ten minutes. Is there anything specifically you want to touch on that we didn't get a chance to talk about? No, not really. Just uh yeah, mm -hmm. maybe because um okay, so I'm not sure, maybe I misinterpret you, but uh the way when we talk about this and whatever, and uh these like ways of being you appear to me and i could be very mistaken that's why i'm asking to be more of a sympathetic nature to not necessarily transhumanism but to that sort of vir virtue of thinking like you have 
a level of understanding towards it where I sort of lack that. I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, that's just stupid, kind of like sometimes that's my fault, you know, but it's not stupid. I, I don't actually mean that. But so, uh, so what are your views? Because you're both getting into Christianity and whatever. What do you think could be done in a culture shaping way to sort of mitigate mm. some of the faults that we both see? Mm. Yeah, so you want to take the first step? Uh, I'll try. Um, I think I, I think we just have to live by example. I think that, like I was saying earlier about not facts and logic aren't really going to cut it. You have to, I, I don't know about a breakaway civilization, but I think, I think people need to just move past their disagreements with people and just live their life according to their values and let that be evident to people that feel that that emptiness like we were talking about earlier um mm -hmm. i i don't I, I really don't know of a solution like a verbal solution to coming together with people that are caught up in this unless they are open-minded enough to be taught the history of their own views which they don't seem yeah. to be um then i don't i don't think there's really much you can do other than just love them anyway and and be kind and and you know don't try not to try your best not to push them away don't don't push stuff onto them that they're not going to they're not ready to accept just live your life like you like you believe you should live your life and let mm -hmm. that be the the example yeah i i totally agree i feel like People, uh, people naturally gravitate towards cool people. I mean, if you yeah. are, if you have a if certain you're comfortable way about, and, yeah, if you're comfortable and creative and and full of love for life, then I think people gravitate towards that, regardless of what their beliefs are. Mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, exactly. I think you know on the other hand, it's tempting to want to dunk on people when they do stupid things, um, when they, especially with how loud politics seems to be these days, it's like everything is is cranked up to, you know, the volume is, is cranked up to the max and it's in your face. And I think it's intentionally confrontational. I think politics today is driven into conflict in, you know, inner group conflict in order to keep us from learning from each other, in order to keep us sort of siloed from each other. Um, and I think it's that balance of um, sticking with your own way of doing things, but also, you know, being attractive to other people. Um, I think that probably does more good than any, you know, online debate ever will. I think a lot of the online debates are just sort of doomed from the beginning. And, um, and, and as to the, your question about being sympathetic to transhumanism, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not, I don't think Ansley is either, you know, neither of us are really sympathetic to, to it in general. I think we get the appeal. I think 
I think that's probably something that we have to sort of understand because I think it is genuinely appealing. Um, I think that people sort of transform that discomfort and um, anxiety that we feel in culture and they, they want a way out of it somehow. And I think there's this, this kind of bizarre, um, what's it called? Like a sort of a death ritual where some people think that we just need to, to fundamentally change what human beings are in order to get out of this. Um, but I think, I think what we need to do is sort of resist that urge and remind ourselves of, of what it is that we were talking about getting rid of, right? And I think that's probably to be found in the classics. I think pulling up great classic texts and, and understanding the sort of heights of humanity will remind us of sort of what's at stake and, and challenge us when we go to burn it all down. Yeah, I agree with both of you there. Really good points. And uh, it's completely true, all that you've said now. In basically conclusion, we can conclude the talk now soon. Um, it was so nice to get in touch with both of you. And to finish this chat properly, I'll be editing it into my previous episode. Uh, touching on your final remarks about the classics, it makes a lot of sense then that they're removing the classics, the Iliad and the Homer mm -hmm. and whatever, because <laughs> yeah. it's racist, you know. And now, yeah, everything, you know, yes. We, we know the script and we know the drill. And um, yeah, these institutions and whatever have just been captured. Uh, but one thing that I've noticed increasingly since like 2015 and out is that... Uh, in different professions and careers and jobs and job markets, it just seems um, to increasingly be sort of like uh, not sell your soul, but give part of your soul to make money. Mm. Like uh, I've just gotten that feeling and that vibe more and more that there's always like some sort of structure over that and things structures in themselves have become politicized increasingly and uh yeah it's just kind of interesting uh it's, how they're yeah we're we have like a, a gaps problem where you're we're increasingly being driven into our own smaller and smaller spaces where you can be authentic and not have to feel like you have to submit something to the authorities whatever cultural mm. authorities yeah but yes. i think that's the condition that we're in you know i think that's the human condition yeah also i mean it's not new it's this is an ancient thing mm. that's just coming back and i think it's the our our uh purpose on earth is to deal with it <laughs> instead of running away and you know like the crypto people are doing. Yeah, basically. Um, so uh, me and my wife, we're going to stick stick the game as long as we're ca we can. We're not mm -hmm. like sort of uh, huffing off and becoming self-reliant, but we're taking steps here and there. Uh, I've told you a bit about that before, just like things we're doing. But, you know, 
I, I would much rather go down with my society and be amongst people around me if uh, because I really manifested that potentiality in my head that maybe like right now outside is minus 14 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's really cold. And so <laughs> I foresaw a situation in my head where it's as cold as that here in Oslo and maybe all the power goes out, you know, uh, I'm going to stick with people, you know, I'm not just like running, running off. But if I see the writing clearly on the wall and I'm suddenly in a position where now they are erecting or planning to erect zones where you can't travel between there and there and you need to show your passport and whatever. Yeah, then I am basically, then I'm just running into the woods and like, bye-bye, you know, I'm just uh, taking my chances out there. <laughs> this just yeah. comes to a point where it's like, okay, bye-bye, fuck you guys. <laughs> I don't have time for this. <laughs> but um, thank you both for uh, joining me for a second chat. Um, it'll be awesome to put this in there. And uh, it was really nice talking to you again. Good talking yeah. to you. Yeah, thank you, Niels. You're welcome. Have a good uh, day, not evening. evening. <laughs> you too. <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.